0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'm going to just remind you to invite someone for lunch next Sunday after church. We've had that in the bulletin the last few weeks. And uh, Susie's arranged to uh, try to encourage... Just uh, have a chance just to get to know people, and uh, so just consider that. If you would have someone over or take them out for lunch, get together next Sunday. Somebody new, somebody you don't know, uh, that would be really wonderful. So next Sunday, we want to encourage you to do that. One of my favorite uh, passages, I know I remind you of this quite often, is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me just read it to you, where Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God, of course. This is a a verse that uh, we get our view of inspiration of Scripture from. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul, as he writes this, one of his last, well, probably his last epistle, one of his last words to Timothy, and reminds him all Scripture is profitable and can help us. And this, uh, this morning, uh, if you were with us in Sunday school, uh, we have been studying together from the life of Joshua. We have one more week on that series. We'll complete that next Sunday, and then we'll begin a new elective series in November. As we consider that this morning, uh, I've been you know thinking about as we uh, connect with this in our morning service, What are some things we can learn? What have you been learning from the life of Joshua that the God can use to train us, correct us, rebuke us, instruct us in righteousness? What can we learn from these characters from the Old Testament, men and women, that Paul says we can learn from them? I want us this morning to go back to Joshua chapter 10. And we're going to learn, hopefully, some things from the life of Joshua and Israel that will be of value to us as we walk with the Lord this week. Thank you for coming today. It's so good to see all of you here. Um, I think every—I want you to know—every Sunday we never take for granted. There are so many places you could be today, and uh, you've chosen to come and worship and look into God's Word to support our children and youth ministry. Um, bring your tithes and offerings, but most of all, bring your worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, to our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. So let's pray to Him right now and ask His blessing upon His Word. Heavenly Father, it is good for us to be here. I thank you for each person that's come. May you bless them. May you bless us together as we open your Word. May we never take for granted the freedom we have to come and worship as we please, to read your Scripture to teach from your scripture, instruct our children and youth and ourselves from your words. And to that end, Lord, I ask that in these next few moments that your word will be heard and that we will listen to it and our hearts will be sensitive and tender to it. And we pray your blessing and your Holy Spirit's presence with us now in Christ's name. Amen. So in Joshua chapter 10, we, we're jumping into the middle of a story. and I know not everybody's been in our Sunday school classes, so let me just give a, just a thumbnail sketch review. In chapter 9, this morning in Sunday school, we looked at the story of the Gibeonites. And what happened with the Gibeonites is that they had seen and heard, mainly heard, what God had been doing in bringing his people into the promised land. They have destroyed Jericho. They have destroyed Ai. They are coming to possess this land. And, one of, the, of course, one of the questions that comes up as you study Joshua is, why did God do this? Why, why were these people destroyed? And I just want to remind you that, um, uh, you know, these, these people were very wicked. It was a very You can read the history. It was a very wicked, wicked, disgusting, really, uh, culture in so many ways. And as God brings the people into Israel, I also want to remind you that you can look this up yourself, but in the book of Deuteronomy, we are told in chapter 20 and verse 10 that the Lord instructs Moses to tell the people when you come against the city, offer them peace. And if they accept it, they will become your servants, but they will live with you. Offer them peace. And so, as you read the stories of Israel going from city to city, I want to remind you of that. And of course, that offer was rejected, and, uh, and people tried to stand against the God of Israel. But there was a people called the Gibeonites who saw what was, you could almost see, they, they saw the handwriting on the wall. And they decided that, uh, you know, we, we cannot stand against the God of Israel. We cannot do this. They were a powerful people, we'll see in our, in our chapter this morning. They were a powerful people. They had a strong army, but they realized, of all the peoples, they realized they could not stand against Israel's God. And the emphasis on Israel's God. And so they decide, as the NIV uses the term, to take on a ruse, a trick. And they send a delegation of people. As you studied in class this morning, they send a delegation of people to Israel. And these people come dressed like they've traveled from afar. Their clothes are worn out and dirty and tattered. Their, their sandals are worn from the long journey. Their food is moldy and, and uh, old and stale. And their water uh, carriers are old and, 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 and bitter. And, and they come and they say, and they come to Joshua and the leaders and say, Look, at, we have come from a far off land where, in fact, they lived right next door. <laughs> they were right next to Jerusalem, just to the north and west of Jerusalem. But they came and said, we have come from a far land. Uh, We are desperate. We are homeless. We are traveling. Uh, Please make peace with us. And Israel, as we saw this morning in in chapter 9, where it says that they, in verse 14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions. They tried out the food, and yes, it was stale. It was bad. They looked at their clothes. But they did not inquire of the Lord and Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. And, of course, the, the thing that stands out, the glaring thing, is they did not inquire of the Lord. And it's their responsibility and Joshua's responsibility as the leader. They should have inquired of God first, and they didn't. They, they took this trick. They fell for it. And they made an uh, peace and said, yes, we will, we will let you live amongst us. You will be our servants. We'll see from this. But you will be free and we will not harm you. And, of course, they were deceived. And the story unfolds in the rest of chapter 9, how it unfolds to Israel that, that you've been tricked. These people indeed live right here. In fact, they represent several cities. And, in fact, they are very powerful people. They are strong soldiers. But they realized... That they could not stand against your God. But instead of being honest about it and coming and offering, they have tricked you. But Israel made an oath. And they swore the oath before God that these people would not be harmed. The people grumbled against Joshua. They were upset with Joshua and the leaders. And we see that here. They grumbled. They were upset. They wanted to kill them. It's obvious as we read through this. It says they, they wanted to kill them. In verse 26 of chapter 9, Joshua saved them from the Israelites... And they did not kill them. But that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. And in fact, as we looked in our class this morning, you will find in uh, 2 Samuel, you will find in chapter 21 a story where Israel saw under King David hundreds of years later that the people of Israel suffer a famine of three days, and it turns out it's because Saul tried to wipe out the Gibeonites. And God said, no, you made a deal with him. We made an oath. You broke the oath, and you are suffering for this. And David corrects this. Later on, the book of Nehemiah, you will find that when the various people, clear at the end of the Old Testament history, way at the end when they come back from captivity to rebuild the city, you will find that as they rebuild the wall, the Gibeonites are involved with that and part of that rebuilding. They remained a part of Israel's community throughout the Old Testament. So that's the background. So we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10. Now, we've got to read through this here, okay? Uh, Joshua chapter 10. Now Adonai is the deck, king of Jerusalem. King of Jerusalem, right in the heart of Judea. He heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it doing to Ai and his king as he had done to Jericho and its king. And he also heard that the people of Gibeon, their neighbors, had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon, now notice this, see, Gibeon was no small city. Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai and all of its men were good fighters. So Gibeon is a significant place. And, they, and they, are, they are a strong, well-known army. But they made peace with Israel, even though it was a trick. They were at peace with Israel, and they had a contract. They had an agreement. They had a treaty. But the king of Jerusalem is upset about this. Because if other nations follow suit, that means that they will have to just cave in to this new people that have come into the land. And so, because of this, he gathers a coalition. And you'll notice in verse three, he appeals to the various kings. And in verse five, uh, it, well, at the end of verse four, it says, "Because it is he has made peace with, with Joshua and the Israelites, come, let us help and let us help us attack Gibeon." So they're going after Gibeon to make a lesson of Gibeon. They're going to fight Gibeon. They're going to destroy Gibeon and send the message to the rest of Palestine, the rest of Canaan, if you make a treaty with Israel, this is what will happen to you. And so we see five kings, five kings and their armies of the Amorites, verse 5, Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, all powerful cities, all powerful warriors, all powerful armies, they joined forces and they moved up with all their troops and they took positions against Gibeon And are attacking it. They have come with their armies. And they have come to attack Gibeon. And and make a lesson of Gibeon. About making a treaty with Israel. Don't you dare anybody else think about doing this. And they attack the Gibeonites. Five against the cities of Gibeon. Five nations against the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua. In the camp of Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly. And save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Now I want us to stop for a moment here. This is a critical point in the story of Joshua so far. Here we have a a people who had been unhappy with their leaders. It says in chapter 9, they grumbled against the leaders. They were upset with them for falling for this ruse and making a treaty with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites tricked them. They lied to them. They went to great extent to lie to them and to trick them into making a treaty that they would save them. So here we have the situation where the armies have come against Gibeon. They send word to Joshua, come and help us. You made a treaty. Come and help us and save us. We are part of your community. And you know, this is the point at which, from a human perspective, What were Joshua's options? Would it have been that far-fetched? Would it be that unreasonable to assume, which I would imagine some of the Israelites were assuming, you know what, this is what they deserve. This is what they should get. They, They deserve this. They tricked us. We signed an oath. Now they're being attacked. Let them deal with it. Let them deal with it. I wonder if that went through their mind. Joshua had an issue to face on behalf of his people as the leader and ruler of Jerusalem. The one who they were looking to for leadership. The Gibeonites have put themselves in this position. Let them fend for themselves. But I want you to notice verse 7 what Joshua does. Without hesitation, Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army including all the best fighting men. Joshua goes to their defense. They have an oath. They've made a treaty. They are part of the community of Israel, and they must be saved. And Joshua goes up with his army to take on the five kings and all the people of the Amorites. This will be the first open field battle Israel has been involved in. As Jericho was a walled city, Ai was a walled city, and they drew them out the second time of the battle. This will be the first open field battle uh, against a powerful, powerful army. In verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. You know, when I read that, we see that so often in the Bible. Uh, We think of the Apostle Paul, as we talked about earlier this summer in our study from the second missionary journey. When God comes to Paul at Corinth and says, don't be afraid. You know, I kind of make the assumption if God comes and says, don't be afraid, that there is some fear. That Joshua is a, is a critical point here. They are going to fight this immense army. And God says to him, Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do this. Go up and fight. Do not be afraid. The reason is, I have given them into your hand. Not one of them. Not one of them. Will be able to withstand you, boy. What an assurance that God Himself comes to Joshua and says, "Joshua, don't be afraid. I've taken care of this. I will make sure you win." You know, would it be would it be tempting at that point for Joshua to relax, to kind of back off and say, "Okay, guys, you know, we'll, we'll go up there when it works out. God's going to take care of this. You know, God assured me we're going to win. Don't be afraid." But you notice what they do. Even though God has said, I'm going to do this, Joshua takes his army and verse nine, he marches them all night long. They head out right then and they march all night and they travel through the darkness of the night. They travel for this battle, for this battle on the open field against these armies, these ferocious, ferocious armies that they are going to have to face. And they march out all night long and he brings them to the battle. The battle that God said, I'm going to win. I'm going to take care of this. You don't have to worry. But Joshua still takes his army out to do the fighting. And after an all-night march, they arrive. you notice how the battle takes place. In verse 10, The Lord threw them into confusion, that is the Amorites, before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon, Israel pursued them along the road going up beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azkah and Machedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from beth Horon to Azkah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On that day the Lord gave the Amorites to over to Israel." And the people of Gibeon were saved. They were delivered by the army of Israel, but they were delivered by God. God was at work. Joshua honored his oath. He put his people in danger. He marched them all night long for this battle. And they faced the enemy and God won the battle. So as we considered Gibeon this morning in Sunday school, this is how the story of the Gibeonites unfolds with Joshua and the Israelites. We talked in our classes. We shared some of the takeaways from the lesson of Gibeon. God's grace. God's grace to Gibeon. God's grace to Israel, even though they didn't consult him. We talked about the principle that do we consult God when we have a big decision to make or is that sort of our last resort to go to God in prayer and Ask Him to give us guidance, what He should do. Are we careless about deception? Do we get complacent? And are we deceived easily? You know, Satan's greatest trick, go back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, God. Satan did not say to Eve, uh, if you eat of that, you will surely die. No, he deceived and said, has God really said this? Did He really mean this, that you couldn't touch that? And we see throughout Scripture, and we see in our own lives, that God, that Satan uses deception how do we respond to that there are many takeaways from this lesson you know this past week we had our missionary conference the globe is still spinning up there we keep it up there for a little bit I I'm really uh, praying I hope you're praying too that by the first of November we have wrapped up our pledge drive so our mission committee knows what they have to work with this year as we make wasn't a great conference come on somebody say amen what a great group of missionaries. Great group. We had this it was a wonderful group of missionaries. It was challenging. It was exciting. And I appreciate all of your involvement in all the various ways. And uh, one of the things we do is on uh, Tuesday night, we ask you to uh, host a missionary and have them over for a meal. Just have them in a little smaller setting, get to know them, maybe invite some people over. And uh, the last several years, uh, Jean Berg has uh, opened her house up. And uh, Teresa and I attend, and we invited about 10 of us total. And we have a missionary. And uh, this year we had um, Dwight Anderson from a Prison Mission Association with us. Just, and I, I tell you, I'm just so so excited and pleased about the work he's doing with Prison Mission Association. Talk about a ministry. You know, we can complain all we want about society and culture. But, uh, I mean, there, there is a ministry that's, that's on the forefront of changing culture as he works with those prisoners and then the fruits of that ministry of Bible study and, and uh, prayer and, and leadership and the things they have going, it was really, really great to see what God is doing. But as we wrapped up our meal, uh, Jean handed me her Bible and uh, said, you know, before we go, I'd like you to read, just read from Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I read Philippians 2 and I really, as, as I read it and thought about this week, I, I, I just wanted to connect Philippians chapter 2, believe it or not, to Joshua chapter 10, okay? That's my job to come up with these kind of things, you know, as pastor, right? You know, you think, what in the world did he think about all week long? Um, but I want to connect this. So we're going to jump in the middle of a passage, Philippians, Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi, chapter 2 in your New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the prison epistles. Also, if you're visiting with us at our church, um, you know, it, it, uh, we believe strongly in preaching and teaching from the Bible. And I want you to know as we're doing this now, our children are learning from God's Word, whether in choir or children's church. Our, our youth pastor, Pastor Kevin, who was up here earlier, uh, teaches our young people from God's Word. Uh, this, is, this is who we are. This is very important to us. And I want you to look at this. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, church of Philippi, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence as the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's in prison in Rome. Continue. Now notice, this is is one of those passages of Scripture that we could contemplate and think about and study for a long time here. But I want to read this to you this morning. In my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There are all sorts of Old Testament um, thoughts here. This idea of the fear and trembling that comes from the Old Testament, this reverential fear of God. This idea that, that salvation is not just what we receive, but also what we do. We preach strongly in our church salvation by the grace of God, that we are saved by God's grace. There's nothing you can do to earn God's grace. And in fact, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore today But then he will tomorrow or he did yesterday. God loves you because he's chosen to love you because he loves you. And we preach that and teach that here. We are saved by God's grace. We are not saved by works. But Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with reverential respect and fear. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. This is so important as we come and sing and lift our voices And worship God together. And we are continuing to worship as we look at Scripture this morning. Why? For it is God who, now notice this, who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. I mean, think about that. Paul says, and it's emphatic, it's imperative, work out. You are your your Christianity is is an activist faith. It's not a pacifist faith. It's an activist faith. Work out your salvation. Live your life in such a way that is obvious that you belong to Him and He is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned here, but certainly is, is the focus here of God's power in us. Work out your salvation. No, we are not saved by works. We are created unto them as God has purpose. Work out your salvation. But look it, it is God who not only is at work to do, but to will his good pleasure in your life. You know, the reason we are called to be a humble people and humility, friends, humility is, is a characteristic, is a fruit of spirit that every one of us, God has called us to. Uh, please don't ever say, well, eh, that's, just not, that's just not me. I'm just not a humble person. Well, too bad. You know, God has called us to humility. Why? Because you or I do not deserve any credit for anything God does to our lives. He, it says right here. Our, our children, young people that we are working with and training, you know, isn't that great having the kids up here and saying this morning? Isn't it good to see them? Come on, your heart's ice cold if you can't say amen to that. Besides, four of my grandchildren were in that group there. You know, I mean, (laughs) yeah. Listen, listen, we are teaching them and we are helping them understand that God is going to do great things for these young people. pastor Kevin's had the privilege of being here. How many years, Kevin? Eleven years. So he's had the privilege of seeing not only people come in the junior high youth group, but having a chance to perform their weddings, to share in their weddings. Uh, to, to, see, to see that, I've had the privilege of dedicating babies up here uh, as just as, as infants and babies and seeing them now work as interns in our church and serve in our church and go off and, 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 and become leaders in other ministries that God's called them to. But it's all because of God. It's not because of me or Kevin or you or the teachers, the leaders. We are simply here as God's instruments of service because it is God who has given us both the will and the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he has called us to do. Amen? Amen? God is at work. Israel. Here's some our connections. Israel. Don't be afraid. I have won this battle. It's all over. These five kings, they're done. They disobeyed me. They've resisted me. They obviously resisted any offer of peace. It's over. I've won the battle. But what? You march all night and you go fight that battle. Why? If God's going to win it anyway, did he, did he need Israel's army to defeat those five kings? No. But that's how God works. I've won the battle. You go fight. It is God, and please don't ever lose sight of this, friends, who is at work in you and in me as His children to will, to give us the desire and the ability to do His good, pleasure, or purpose by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 Do everything without complaining. Or arguing. Now this goes back to earlier in this chapter, where Paul tells him in chapter two in the first in the first part and it comes at verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. The people of Israel came and they grumbled and complained against Joshua and the leaders because of what happened. It's the story of the Old Testament. You know, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to grumble and complain. I may be the only one here. I understand that. But, and it is something. It is, uh, come on now. Come on. As we get older, have you noticed it's easier to grumble and complain? You're all afraid to look at me and smile because you're afraid I'm going to say, yes, thank you, Jerry, or something like that, you know? <laughs> I've noticed that. I've noticed that. As I get older, it's easier to grumble and complain. Um... But you know what the Apostle Paul says when it comes to your relationship with one another, working together as a community of faith, a community of faith. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And we see that in the Old Testament. Joshua had to stand up. He did, he did what he did. And, and, and they complained. But it was a done deal. They did it. And they moved ahead. And I want to encourage you. And I don't say that because we have a church that's unusually grumbling or complaining. I just know human nature because I know my nature. I know my nature. And I know that you and I are the same. And I just want to remind you this. The Apostle Paul says, do everything. Do everything. Notice it's pretty inclusive. Do everything without complaining or grumbling. Why? So you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Again, Old Testament thoughts. The grumbling, the complaining. We are told in the Psalms, in in the prophets and Psalms, that, that these people were people that they lived in a culture that was crooked and depraved. I mean, just this, you know, you don't have to read too far and see what's going on to to realize how sinful people can become. But Paul says, listen, don't complain, don't grumble. Live your life in such a way. And I want to encourage you this. I mean, one of the great takeaways from that story of the Gibeonites and Israel and Joshua, to me, one of the great takeaways that every one of us, I know I can apply to my life. In spite of the difficulties, in spite of the challenges, in spite of all logic and everything he could have gone through, When it came down to it, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, same name, Joshua, was true to his word. He made an oath before God as a leader of Israel, right or wrong what had happened. He made an oath before God. We will not harm these people. They are part of our community. They will serve us. Yes, we will not harm them. He made an oath. And when it came down to it, where it meant taking his army on an all-night march to defend these people that had tricked him, he was true to his word. He honored his commitment. And friends, one of the ways that you and I can shine in our world, as Paul says here, to shine as as lights. Look at he says in verse, in verse 15, that we are to shine like stars in the universe. That that word shine there. Is, re- is exclusively used in the Bible terminology to refer to luminaries in the sky. You and I are to shine in our neighborhood, in our school, in our, in our workplace, on the bus, in our car, in our apartment, in our home. We are to shine like the luminaries in the sky by the way we live. And one of the ways we do that, I think, is I connect this with Joshua. Joshua. Are you willing to honor your commitments? You know, as I as I preached this morning, there may be someone here who's contemplating your marriage, your marriage vows that you made. And I want to tell you, friend, God will honor you if you honor your word. There may be someone here who may be at your place of work that you're 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 thinking of going back on a commitment you made, doesn't mean you have to work there forever but if you made a commitment and you're trying to squeeze and get out of it and so forth, that is something that you know you should do honor your word young people, if you made a commitment I know, you know, we we make commitments to God, Lord I want to read your scriptures, I want to honor your word, honor your commitments this is a way we can shine in the universe to honor our word. I tell you, Joshua, to me, as I mentioned in our class, we're coming toward the end of this study. Joshua is one very unique leader in Israel's history. Because at the end of the story, as you'll see next week, not to take any thunder from the teachers that are teaching, but you come to the end of the story and it says this simply about Joshua. Israel served the Lord All the days of Joshua and the elders that outlived him. Now listen, how many people in Israel's history can that be said of? David? Samuel? Elijah? Joshua is a unique, godly, humble leader. And he stood up and honored his oath. And honored his word. We are called to shine as luminaries in our universe. What will you do this week, friends? There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with talking about how we live and our works, how we act, how we respond, how we treat people. We are called to be kind and gentle. Yes, we have our standards. Yes, there are, are there is justice. But we are called to be humble, kind, gentle, compassionate people. Will you do that this week? Will you shine as a luminary? Will you be a light to your world, to your apartment house, to your neighborhood, to your bus ride, to your office, to your school, to your friends, to your family? Will we do that? Will we do that? Are we willing to be like these wonderful characters from the Bible who are just as human as us, just as liable to mistakes, and he made a bad mistake in not asking God? But will we shine as luminaries? And we'll close with this, as Paul says this, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, I did not run or labor for nothing. Work out your salvation. Don't be afraid to do that. For God is at work. To do and to will. Of his good pleasure. I'm thankful. For men and women in the Old Testament. That we can learn. How God wants us to live. This I got to note that uh, so far. We have $99,950. Toward our goal of $125,000. We're going to leave this up here. Turning. Um, How about two more weeks? Let's see. If you have not turned in your mission pledge, would you pray about that? Young people, you can participate too. It's not the amount. It's the participation. And uh, help us with that. Now, as we go today and as the world is turning, um, I know some of you might have read ahead. But just in closing, I do want to say this. The story I read from Joshua 10, you may have noticed I left out. That says, on that day, the Lord gave the Amorites to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord, to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nations avenged itself on its Israel. On his enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky. And delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Obviously that's a whole nother study. The day the sun stood still. We take a literal view of scripture here. And we say there's no reason to not accept it for what it says. God can do whatever God chooses to do. Don't ever say we don't believe in miracles. But I just want to leave you this thought. You can study the rest of it on your own. But you know what really impacted me when I thought about this? In the middle of this battle, Joshua turns to God. And in the presence of Israel, so everybody's listening, there's no going back. He says to God, Sun, stand still. Moon, hold your place. How audacious. I mean, why would he do that? What if God said no? What if God says no? That's going to disrupt the things on the earth here a little bit. You know. But he boldly turns to God and says, Lord, sun and moon stand still. How could he do that? He did that because I think Joshua has become so intimate with God. He's become so intimate with God that he just knows what God wants him to do. To will and to do of God's good pleasure. And there's never been a day like that, it says, when God listened to a man and did what he said to do. How intimate are we with God? Do you have time this week to pray? Do you have time to read His Word? Do you have time to think about Him? Do you have time to include Him in your life? Because it goes a long way to helping us know what to do. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Once again, Lord, I I want to thank You, especially for parents here today. Think of these dear children that were up here and those in Children's Church today. And we know, Lord... That as parents, uh, there are times that uh, we don't know what to do. Every new stage of life. And I want to pray especially for our parents today, Lord, and as we as a church family that we surround them and our young people and children in this, in this day and age we live, that we will know what to do. And most importantly, they will know. And we, we look to great things, your hand at work in mighty, mighty ways for these dear children and young people, Lord that could change their world for you and their faithfulness to you. Just give us wisdom. Help us be intimate with you that we would know what you would have us to do, to will and to do of your good pleasure. In our Savior's beautiful and wonderful name, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we pray today. Amen.